Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? Well, I hope you're doing well. I'm doing okay. It's been it's been a weird day. It's been a really odd day. My camera is possessed. Told me it wasn't there. Then told me it was there. Then told me it wasn't there. It's just been one of those days. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. Got a great guest tonight. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team, based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong, up and down the state of California. That means that we're in almost every county. So if you have something going on that you think is paranormal in your house, we can get to you. Even if we're three counties away, we can get to you. All right? But not only are we in California, we're in Washington, we're in Oregon, and we're in Hawaii and Nevada. So we're spreading out a little more. I want to thank you all for coming tonight. Uh, I'm going to be teaching a class next Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific, and it's going to be a Psychic Development Class 1, which means if you think you have psychic abilities or you know you have them, but you don't know quite what to do with them yet, this is the class for you. It's a basic psychic development class where I teach you how to open and close that psychic door. I teach you about protection techniques and things like that. And I also teach you how to go visit your spirit library, how to visit your spirit guides, how to visit your spirit animal, and all kinds of things. So if you're interested in something like that, go to the California Haunts uh, Meetup page, sign up over there. And then tonight at approximately 11 p.m., I will have the information up on the California Haunts Radio website. And that will be under special events. Okay, so look for that at 11 p.m. But I'm going to be teaching that class. All right, that's next Saturday at 7 p.m. Pacific. Also, I will be on at some point over the weekend, probably maybe Friday night, telling ghost stories at uh, California Haunts Ghostly Events. I will be telling ghost stories over there. Ghost stories of the gold country. So be sure to join that in. It'll probably be, oh, oh I don't think it's going to be Friday night because we have a show, huh? Hmm. Well, I'll try and fit it in. And I forgot I was, I was teaching Saturday. So maybe at around 9 o'clock uh, Pacific Saturday night, I'll teach that. I'll, I'll, do, I'll, I'll do that show. But that will be that will be over at California Haunts Ghostly Events. Anyway, tonight we have a return guest. His name is Ivor Davis. He's a journalist. Just like me. Except that he's interviewed some really, really cool people over his career. He's, he's spent time with the Beatles. He's interviewed Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, people like that. But tonight, in honor of the Elvis movie that just came out, he is going to talk about Elvis. Isn't that cool? And just think, in a couple weeks, it's going to be the anniversary of Elvis's death. All right? I am a huge fan of Elvis. I don't deny that I'm a huge fan of Elvis. And uh, I went to see the Elvis movie. And I could say it was a pretty good movie. A couple inaccuracies that I saw. But all in all, they pulled it off really well. I was impressed. I, in fact, I would love to see it again. So hopefully I'll get to see it again at some point. But I was really, really, really impressed with it. So um, I can't wait to talk to Ivor about this. we got to find out what he's been doing. We, we haven't seen him for, for a year since, it's, since he's been on the last time. So I want, I want to hear what he's been up to. 
And I know he has a book out on the Beatles. He has a book out on Charles Manson as well. Okay. But anyway, I want to invite you all, if you're watching from Facebook, to go ahead and, um, what's the word? Oh, not join. But click on the like button or, or whatever you need to do. Follow me. That's it. The follow button. Somebody, somebody of these buttons to push. So the follow button on Facebook. Same thing with Twitch. And if you're over on, on TikTok, that's another follow for me. And, of course, YouTube. There's a little man uh, down in the bottom right-hand corner with a little ghost, really, with a Sherlock Holmes hat on and a mag- big old magnifying glass. Click on that to subscribe. I've got over 250 videos sitting over there. And they're all different topics. Not just paranormal, because we just don't do paranormal here, because I'm a, I'm a real-life journalist, photojournalist, so I like to mix it up. So there's, I think there's a little something in there to get the attention of everybody, including Ivor's first interview he did with us all that time ago. But anyway, also, uh, you want to check out a bunch of really cool videos. You want to check out uh, some of the extra stuff we have. Check out CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com because that's where you can find the show. CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com and also CaliforniaHauntsRadio.org. That's where you can find us, the paranormal team. Okay? Anyway, I'm going to bring Ivor in and let's Let's see what happens. You never know with this show. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening, Charlotte. Nice to see you again, and um, nice to be on. And I, I you know, we, we, we're going to have some fun tonight. Yeah, we that... are. It's been it's been about a year since I saw yes, you. It has. Yeah, yeah, I. I I remember, and um, we had a good conversation then, and I'm sure that we're going to have a nice chat. Uh, this evening. Why don't you tell the people that haven't watched the show before about you? Let's hear about you. Well, in a nutshell, if I can say a nutshell, because I'm now in my eighties. Um, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm only I'm only forty four actually, which would have made me uh, uh, not born when I traveled with the Beatles in nineteen sixty four. So, so I was a foreign correspondent. I was very lucky. Am I, I mean, everything in life is chance, mm-hmm. serendipity. Uh, and and I, I didn't plan it. Nobody plans their lives. I don't think so. I don't know if you would agree with me, Charlotte. Nobody right. plans their lives. And I was a lucky fella. Oh, oh lucky man, I always like to say, uh, which reminds me of a great movie by Malcolm McDowell, Oh, Lucky Man. Are you a fan of Malcolm McDowell? Clockwork I am. Orange? I am. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so. I was lucky. I came to California. They, they made me bureau chief of a big London newspaper and and all hell broke loose. Um, 64, I went with the Beatles. I traveled with them. I wrote George Harrison's column for him. But I want to tell you this, Charlotte. I didn't realize in 1964 that the Beatles were going to be talked about even more today. And they are. I mean, it's, it's astonishing because if I had known that, I would have taken... First of all, I would have taken my iPhone with me and done a lot of pictures, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't know. And I got all the autographs for friends of friends and I gave them away. So I could have been a rich man. And then my career took me to Hollywood and horrible, horrible things like stories like in the kitchen with Bobby Kennedy when he got sh- gunned down by mm-hmm. Sirhan Sirhan. And and in, along the way, I met this guy from Memphis. Um, I was very lucky. I went with the Beatles to see him in 
in uh, the summer of 1965. I was there when he met he met Elvis, and then also I met Elvis on film sets, and I met Elvis when he did his comeback special in 1968, which which resurrected his career. And I saw him in the last couple of years of his life when he was on the slides. He was he was chubby. He was he was over. I mean, he was being stuffed into his jumpsuit and he kept forgetting the line. So in a way, I've seen him from from the prime to the not so prime. What kind of person was he? Well, the first time I met him one on one, he was older than me, but he kept calling me sir. He was very polite. It was very nice. Uh, I went on the movie set at Paramount Studios in Hollywood for the movie um, Frankie and Johnny. And and he chatted to me very nicely. And then after about 20 minutes, the guy comes in and his, I don't know, his minder and says, I'm afraid, Elvis, they need you on the set. And I said, I'd like to visit Elvis on the set and watch him work. And the guy said, oh, it's a closed set. Sorry. So I said, thank you, Elvis. Thanks for your time. And off I went. And as I was leaving the studio at Paramount, I saw a bunch of guys playing football in the parking lot. And guess who was throwing the ball? Charlotte. <laughs> guess, who it, guess who it was? Elvis. But he was out there, huh? He was out there. So, you know, Elvis was not comfortable with strangers. But when he got going, he was, he was charming. And, you know, you talked about in your introduction the Elvis movie by Baz Luhrmann. And I'd love to hear a bit more about what you thought of it because I have some strong opinions as well. So you please tell me. Well, I mean, to trying to squeeze that life into two into two and a half hours has got to be tough. Yeah. So I thought he did well squeezing in what he squeezed in, but I mean, the the stuff that there were a couple scenes in there where he really kind of went off the rocker with it, like this, like in Florida, you know, when he wasn't supposed to be. Moving around. In fact, he even makes a comment about that in the '68 special, about only being able to move his pinky. Where Baz Luhrmann turned it into a a rebellion thing. Yeah, you know. So there was there was that, and you know, just a few. Just you know, I I didn't see a lot in there, but I mean, some but of you it. Entertained. You loved it. You enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, well, for the most part, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. But yeah. I mean, I've heard the stories about the colonel, you know, when Elvis was really out of it. Yeah. And saying, you know, that, that, that they have that, that first scene of that movie where he says, I want that man on stage now. I don't care what shape he's in. Yeah. Let's get him up. And I had heard stories about that. Oh, yeah. You know, from well, different people. Yeah. But I mean, for the most part, the movie was okay. But I mean, the, 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 there was some stretchers in there. But of course, there's going to be because it's a movie. Look, it's a movie. Baz Luhrmann, Baz Luhrmann, the director from Australia, is a razzle-dazzle movie maker. Mm -hmm. Baz Luhrmann shot, I mean, anybody that hasn't seen the film, you will not believe it. And you, you knew this. Right. Uh, you would not believe that they shot every single scene, including the Las Vegas nightclub scene and the Memphis nightclub scenes and Memphis Graceland scenes. They shot them all in Australia. Can you believe it? That's incredible. Um, I'll tell you one little aside. About 10 days ago, I sat down for a program I do for the Museum of Ventura County, where I live. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed a guy called Steve Binder, who's actually in the movie. 68 special guy, yeah. A hotshot director. And Elvis came out of the army, was scared of 
performing live. He hadn't performed live. He made a lot of, I'm going to say this, a lot of crappy cookie cutter movies. Uh, he got the girl. He lost the girl. He got the girl again. He sang six songs, and that was a story. Except mm -hmm. for a, a good a good movie called Viva Las Vegas with with um, Anne Margaret. Mm -hmm. So Steve Binder, the director, said to me that Elvis came to see him and was scared about doing a live performance on television because he'd done all these movies, which was more controllable. Mm -hmm. And Elvis said to Steve, Steve, tell me what you think of my career right now. And Steve, I'll give it to him, was a young guy. And he said, Elvis, your career is in the toilet. And Elvis for a moment looked at him and said, smiled and said, thank you for telling me the truth. And anybody who's seen the movie, which is which brilliantly recreates the 68 comeback concert or mm -hmm. has seen the 68 comeback concert, Elvis was at his peak. He was an Adonis. He looked fantastic in his black leather outfit. Go on to the go online at YouTube. See the movie. Elvis was at the peak. But then, of course, as you know, Charlotte, Elvis went into steep decline. They gave him pills to eat, to, to sleep, to wake up. And unfortunately, of 42, another sensational talent bit the dust. And that's and that's that's the tragic story of this guy. Can you imagine, Charlotte, if Elvis had been alive today? That's, that's incredible. Yeah, it is. So, so the, the film is. The, I'll just say one thing about the film, and you, you mentioned it. I mean, the film was well done. The great Aust the, uh, Austin Butler, who plays Elvis, will get an Oscar nomination. Whether he wins or not, I don't know. Um, Tom Hanks plays Colonel Tom Parker. A, a fake colonel, by the way, who comes across as the villain of the piece. And I'll tell you this, I spoke to a friend of Priscilla Presley, and she said every day for that movie, Tom Hanks spent four hours putting on his fat suit and four hours taking it off. So it's an interesting film worth seeing because of the razzle-dazzle, because of seeing Elvis at the peak of his career, and it's worthwhile. I, I mean, I, I, I have no, no points or any investment in the film, but it's definitely worth seeing. And would you, uh, Charlotte, tell people to see it? Oh, absolutely. In fact, when I saw the previews for it, I almost didn't want to see it. Yeah. Because uh, because of uh, I hate to say it because of Austin Butler. Yeah. Because he didn't look nothing, you know, anything like him. But I mean, Austin Butler pulls it off. Somehow yeah. he managed to pull it off, and it's just it, it's it, it's it, it, and just because he doesn't look like him, he makes you believe that it's him. Oh yeah, yeah. Austin said the moment he, the moment he told Priscilla the moment he got the role, he he immersed himself in everything Elvis. And when you see it, those who haven't seen it, I mean, I thought he did a remarkable job. I mean, I'd see I'd seen Elvis in, over his career. I thought he was fantastic. As I said, I wasn't crazy about Colonel Tom Parker played by Tom Hanks, mm -hmm. but. You know, he's an actor. And any actor who dresses up grotesquely is probably going to get a Best Supporting Actor nomination, although he won't win. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an interesting film. And any Elvis fans, and you're an Elvis fan, you said, mm -hmm. any Elvis fan should actually invest in seeing the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would like, like I said, I would like to see it again because there's probably stuff I missed. Yeah. Because with Lerman, I mean, there's stuff going on everywhere on the screen. And 
you know, you, you, you got to watch that stuff. Um, how do you compare the real Elvis to the one that, that was portrayed in the movie? Well, I didn't know Elvis personally, but I did know a lot about him. And I think in a way, I want to tell you at the end of the movie, and, and, and I don't know if you noticed this, Charlotte, but at the end of the movie, Elvis is singing Unchained Melody. He's mm -hmm. actually, you see film footage of the fat Elvis singing Unchained Melody, which is a wonderful song. And he's still, despite his terrible decline, he is still great. Mm -hmm. And he sings the song and then suddenly, without you noticing, I don't know if you noticed, the film changes from the real Elvis singing Unchained Melody to Austin Butler singing Unchained Melody. Did you notice the transition? Yes, I did. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it, it depicts Elvis. I mean, there are so many little things that liberties that they take. I mean, to be honest, you know, with all due respect to Priscilla, she wasn't the archangel Priscilla. I mean, mm -hmm. she was a young kid, 14, who first met Elvis. They were married for, I forget how many years. But in the movie, she's the heroine. She's the one that says, right. Elvis, get your act together, blah, 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 blah. But listen, I mean, this is a movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we all know what came out in her book. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's that. I mean, that, that's just kind of, I mean, for the true people that, the, that are Elvis fans, they, they, liquid, that they look at her with a grain of salt because of that book she wrote. And then when yeah. they have stuff like this, you're like, okay, whatever. You know, but all in all, it was a good movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, so, I mean, the movie, I think, has made maybe $150 million as we mm -hmm. speak, which is not bad change, although it costs, about eight and I forget how much it costs, but but the funny thing is it costs several million dollars, obviously, because that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. But when they when they made when they made the Elvis comeback special, they made it for uh, Steve Binder told me they made it for about four hundred thousand dollars, which is like peanuts in today's mm -hmm. in today's world. So um, so I would see the film, I would see the depiction, and look, there are many people, and you know this who think Colonel Parker was the heavy. Mm -hmm. Colonel Parker wouldn't let Elvis travel overseas because he mm -hmm. didn't have, because he was an illegal immigrant. All the little side stories. I'll tell you a very funny story, if I may. Okay. Well, I, a friend, a very close ally, a protege of Colonel Parker came to my house about a month ago and he's doing a documentary for the benefit to show that Colonel Parker wasn't as bad, wasn't such a bad guy. And he said to me, I mean, this is this is the way it is. He said that Colonel Parker would show up, and he was a carny man, he was a carnival man. He'd show up at concerts for Elvis, and he'd have one little army of people selling I love Elvis buttons, and then he had another bunch of people selling I hate Elvis. <laughs> and at the end of the at the end of the concert, Elvis would call up Parker and say, did you sell more of I love Elvis or, or I hate Elvis? So he got a kick out of that. So Parker was a canny guy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I must tell you one other story of my encounter with Colonel Parker, if I may. Sure. So Colonel Parker was uh, lived in Vegas, was a huge gambler, and as the movie shows, as you know, lost a lot of money. So I was talking to Colonel Parker, and he was telling me about his great background. He was a carnival man. He was very proud of that. 
And he said, you know, I was known around America for Colonel Parker's dancing chickens. I said, well, what, what's that? He said, well, here's what I did. He said, he said, I had a dozen chickens in a cage and they danced. And I said, well, did they, did they dance to music? He said, no, he said. He said, I had an electric plug. I stuck the plug into the wall and believe it or not, the chickens danced. Now, he told that story rather proudly, which I thought was a little bit bizarre. So that was the kind of guy he was. You know, he, I mean, there's so many stories about Parker. And, and, and yet Elvis said at one time, I remember reading this or hearing this, that, El, that Colonel Parker was like a father to him. So, you know, go figure. When do you think Elvis was the happiest? I think there were periods when Elvis was at Graceland. Um, he, he uh, I mean, don't forget, he came out of poverty in Tupelo, very, very hard up. And then his money, and Elvis was a generous guy. Elvis loved to, I mean, he, he bought six Cadillacs and gave them to the Memphis Mafia. He was generous to a fault. And, and Parker said to Elvis, you know, Elvis, you've got to keep working. You've got to do 800 performances at the Las Vegas hotels because you spend too much money. So Elvis was good hearted. Elvis didn't really have a concept of money. He spent a fortune. He gave away a fortune. And Parker kept him on the merry-go-round. I mean, as I mentioned, I think they made he made 35 movies in 10 years, three movies a year. That's pretty, pretty hard going. Elvis performed at the Las Vegas hotels. Take a guess. How many times would you reckon Elvis performed in Vegas? Just take a rough guess. Well, I'm calculating it because I know he would get, he would perform and then he would tour for two months. Yeah. So he was I, doing like how many, how many times do you think? Um, I mean, I mean, there, there was a a, a, a dinner show and a midnight show. So two shows in night. If he performed ten months, that's a lot of shows. A lot of shows. And then he would get on the road and, and tour. Do you want to take a guess? Because I know exactly. I've counted them. Take a guess. How many shows over a period of a of about uh, uh, seven or eight years. 14,000? Well, actually, it was nearly 900. But that's, okay. can you believe it, 900 shows of two hours each. I mean, that is so exhausting. Mm -hmm. I, mean, he, I mean, Parker sold his soul to the Las Vegas Hilton International Hotel Company store. And Elvis was tied to this. And, and if Elvis wanted a break, Parker would say, you've got a contract, you've got to fulfill your contract. Can you imagine going up out every night performing? I mean, Elvis gave of his, I mean, you saw the show, you saw the movies, which is, a, as I say, a great capturing of Elvis's. I mean, Elvis gave his all when he was out there performing and he loved it and he loved it. So uh, I think to an extent, no matter what they say about Colonel Parker, I think he did exploit Elvis. And one other thing I must tell you, again, in the last few months, I've done a few documentaries and people have told me this. I said to somebody who is a great Elvis fan and a great Colonel Parker fan, why did, why did Colonel Parker allow Elvis to go into the army for two years where his career languished, died? 
and the reason I know it died, I, I mean, as you mentioned, I'm trying to keep jumping around, but John Lennon, John Lennon said to me once, Elvis went into the army and his career died. And John Lennon said to me, if I had to go into the British army to do my national service, I would have, I would have fled the country and gone to Ireland. So John knew that the, 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 the military career of Elvis. So why didn't Elvis perform for the military while he was there? He would have had a cushy number. He would have entertained the troops. And the reason he didn't entertain the troops was that Colonel Parker said, Elvis, if you do a show for the uh, American military, the performance will be the property of the U.S. military and it will uh, and your exclusivity will be blown out of the water. So Parker was always thinking the angles. He was probably right. But can you believe it? Elvis did not a single two years in Germany where he met Priscilla, age 14, uh, who was the daughter of a, a, an officer in, in, in Germany. But Elvis never sang. Two years of, of, of idleness. Uh, I mean, that's really, it's like, it's like having a star athlete who's at the prime of his career. And you know this, that if a star athlete sits on the bench for two years, he, it's not going to work. He's going to be tired. He's going to be out of action. He's just not going to have it. And this is what Parker allowed uh, Presley to do. Terrible. Well, you know, if you watch that, like that, that, that film, the way he, the, 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 the way Baz lays it out is that Elvis was too controversial, and that's why Parker had him go, had him go oh. in the army. That isn't that a wonderful? I mean, I think that is the bunch of who right. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Charlotte. I mean, the idea was okay, let's do this. Elvis is so hip swiveling, and they're going to arrest him, and everybody is getting a hot under the collar because Elvis swiveled a lot. Why don't we send him into the army, and that way the heat will be off? I mean, that is the biggest bunch of bosh I've ever heard. Uh, come on, that's that's ridiculous. Um, but anyway, he did two years. He could have got special treatment. He didn't. And he he wasted his career. As I said, like a star athlete in the peak of his career, being sidelined. Ridiculous. Yeah, there's, and then, you know, you get the thing, you know, where while he was making the movies, he was he was completely out of touch with stuff because the Beatles sweeped in and he, was, and he, he wasn't watching the music scene because he was doing all the silly songs. Yes. You're, you're absolutely right. And here's, and here's the problem. When I went with the Beatles in August of 1965 to see Elvis, um, the people who wanted, I mean, John Lennon was dying to meet Elvis, but Elvis wasn't dying to meet the Beatles. And when I went to the house, he gave them a bit of a cold shoulder for about the first 15 minutes. We sat around in a living room and nobody introduced them to Elvis. It was, it was a kind of embarrassing what I didn't realize is what we'd been talking. Number one, Elvis had come out of the military. He'd not made any, he'd made all these crappy movies. The Beatles made one movie, A Hard Day's Night, and it was a smash hit. And then the other thing that I didn't realize at the time was one week, one week before Elvis met the Beatles at Elvis's house in Beverly Hills, the Beatles had performed live at Shea Stadium in New York to a crowd of 55,000. So you can imagine how Elvis was jealous, upset, and uh, by these young 
Liverpudlians who'd come into his town, his country, and taken over and knocked him off. And so that explains why he gave them the cold shoulder for 15 to 20 minutes. And then everybody said they were going to get together again, but they never got together again. And Elvis was, I mean, they had a little bit of conversation about movies, about Peter Sellers, the English actor, which Elvis liked and which the Beatles were friendly with. And they talked about a movie called Dr. Strangelove, which they both seen. So there was a little bit of common ground. But believe me, uh, for the first 20 minutes, you could have cut the air with, with a knife. And it was, it was kind of uncomfortable. And then, of course, later on, as everybody knows, the Beatles said, oh, it was great to meet Elvis. And Elvis said it was great to meet the Beatles. But I'll tell you a, a, another quick story, if I may. Um, when, the pe- when the crew came over to uh, do an interview with me for a documentary they're doing about Colonel Parker, one of them, who was, a, who was a protege of Colonel Parker, said, you know, back at uh, Graceland, Elvis's pad in Memphis, when we, the Memphis Mafia cohorts of Elvis, got a new Beatle album, we made sure not not to play the album too loud so that Elvis would hear. So that's a pretty good indication that Elvis was jealous. And then I, I just a final footnote to this, Charlotte. Several years later, Elvis goes to see Richard Nixon, the president. And I've seen the letter that Elvis wrote to Nixon. He was on drugs. He was a little bit scrawly. He wrote a rambling note to Nixon. And when he got to Washington, D.C., somebody delivered it to the White House, in which, in which Elvis in that note says, uh, why don't I come and visit you? Because I can bring a lot of young votes to your campaign. Well, well, I'll tell you what happened. Nixon actually didn't really know the power of Elvis. And at first he said, oh, I don't know. And then one of his, one of his inner guards said, for God's sake, meet Elvis. So it happened. He met Elvis. Elvis shows up. You may have seen pictures. They made a few movies about it with Kevin Costner playing Elvis. He shows up and he and he pulls out a gift for Richard Nixon, which is a gun. Can you believe that? He hands a gun to Richard Nixon, a, an antique gun. Wow, that would never happen today. And, and what Elvis wanted from Richard Nixon was a federal agent's drug enforcement shield badge. And he got it. And I, I, why did he want the badge? Because probably if anybody stopped him and he was on drugs, he could flash his badge and say, hey, I'm an agent. They, I mean, they would have recognized Elvis. But the other thing that was that was a kind of a, a hammer to the to the head of the Beatles was at that meeting. And I've seen the transcripts of the meeting. Elvis said, and you probably know, said to Richard Nixon, the Beatles are a bunch of layabouts. The Beatles come to America, they earn a million dollars, they go back to England and they badmouth America. Well, it wasn't true. It was just Elvis sounding off. And after that, the Beatles wanted nothing to do with Elvis. Ringo said, you know, how can he do this to us? It's not true. So the jealousy, the enmity of Elvis and the Beatles, particularly Elvis, carried on for several years. Well, you can kind of understand Elvis, too, and that he was so out of touch with everything that, you know, it just seemed like they, they, they came in and, 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 you know, just swooped in and, and, and took his gig, 
you know, and uh, you can kind of see his point of view too, how, how jealous he was of it. But on the other hand, I mean, maybe had he embraced them a little more, he could have shifted gears too and gotten, you know, ro rolling in the right direction again. Yeah, I mean, and don't forget, while I was at the house, John Lennon, who was quite a wise mouth and said what he felt, admitted that, you know, he said, he, he did say during the evening, you know, Elvis, if you hadn't shown up, we wouldn't be here. Because John told me personally that he used to sit at home in Liverpool with a little transistor radio listening to a foreign called Radio Luxembourg, which was the overseas channel. He listened to Blue Suede Shoes and Hound Dog and he loved Elvis and they wanted to meet Elvis. And everybody, they all wanted to meet Elvis, but Elvis wasn't so keen to meet the Beatles. And the whole thing was set up. And, and I know this sounds amazing, but the night I went with Elvis, I went with the Beatles to meet Elvis, Brian Epstein said, I don't want to make this a publicity coup. So there's going to be no reporters with, with, with cameras, no, no tape recorders. I mean, can you believe this summit between the two greatest rock and roll people of that of the century and nobody in the house took a single picture amazing wow. yeah yeah no record of it I, I just find it so fascinating <clears throat> you know like like you say he came out of the army and nothing really and then jumped into the movies he did what he did like 10 years of movies or whatever it was yeah. eight years you know and it's it just he just kept going and going and going and and it, it makes you wonder why he didn't say something at that point well i mean elvis was signed to a contract mm -hmm. a, a rigid contract parker said to elvis when he said I, I i i mean elvis didn't like a lot of the films he made i mean he loved viva las vegas mainly because he got a chance to meet Anne margaret and they had a little uh, big fling Right. Um, but most of the films, as I said, were copycat films. They had a new leading lady. They had the same story. Elvis sang several different songs, and he made sure to sing songs that where the where the where the royalties for the songs went into the Presley Colonel Parker coffers. And Elvis was fed up with with with. I mean, Elvis told his buddies, the Memphis guys, you know, this is this is too much. I don't want to do anymore. But Parker said, Elvis, it's a contract. And you're obligated. So he was in. He was caught in the trap. Is that a line from an Elvis song? Caught in the trap. Sorry, I'm not a very good singer. I don't know if you're a good. Are you a good singer, Charlotte? I'm an okay singer. Okay. Anyway, so he was caught in the trap, and um, couldn't get out of it. And then that's why you know back to what back to what we were saying. This uh, comeback concert was so important for Elvis because it it did resurrect it did resurrect Elvis's career in 1968. And the, the interesting thing about that is, according to Steve Binder, who was the, the, the director, mm -hmm. Colonel Parker wanted him to do a Christmas show. And, you know, you, you, you saw it in the movie. Yeah. And of course, what happened? It wasn't the Christmas show, was it? No, no. And there was not even a Christmas song there. No. And so, uh, so that was kind of the irony of the thing. It was a Christmas song. It came out, it was aired in December. Uh, around about Christmas time, there was not one single Christmas song, although although I think I mentioned, and he looks like it, when he does that show, he is sleek. He's an Adonis. He looks like Elvis in leather. Wow. What, what, a, what a performance. So th there it is. It, it, um, he, he made a comeback. 
I had read that <clears throat> Colonel Parker understood him to the extent, like you say, he started after that 68 thing, he went downhill. But then he kind of resurrected for the Aloha from Hawaii thing. Yeah. I mean, well, that, Parker, yeah, yeah, Colonel yeah. Parker, when I, you know, that one book, Elvis, what happened with the bodyguards? They had said that Colonel Parker understood that Elvis would get bored doing, you know, doing what he was doing. So he would come up with these things every so often to get him to, you know, to, to thin down and, and give him a challenge. Yes, I mean, he did do the Aloha thing. But can you imagine, just imagine this, Charlotte, can you imagine if Elvis had gone to Japan or to England? I, I mean, he would have filled the stadiums. But he never went, and and I think, I think the movie points out. I mean, does it in a rather cheeky way. Colonel Parker had been an illegal immigrant to America. He jumped, come to America, and Colonel Parker was terrified that if he went overseas with Elvis, he could have let Elvis go by himself. But you know, a manager would have to go. If he went overseas with Elvis on any of these rich, rich receipt concerts. That when he came back, he would have been stopped, and that would have been a terrible embarrassment. And that's why Parker never let Elvis perform outside of America. I mean, the only time Elvis left America, as as you know, was when he went into the army and, and 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 was stationed in Germany, and that was it. And I think when he was in Germany, I read I don't I, I don't know read it. He did travel a little bit in Europe, but never with Parker and never on a concert. So so Elvis was like in a cage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. trapped. Um, is there any truth to the story? Because I, I know it was in the movie about Elvis wanting to get away from Parker, that he had another manager lined up. I think there were obviously times when Elvis felt that uh, that he should break away. But don't forget, as a very young man, Parker had weaned him to, 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 to depend on the colonel. And I know for sure, and I think I might have mentioned it earlier in our conversation, Charlotte, that that Elvis said to Parker, you are like my father. And it's a bit like a familial thing. Um, his own father was, uh, I don't know, not, a, not, a, not the brightest spark. His mother was very devoted to Elvis, and Elvis was very devoted to him. And, you know, there's one thing that I don't think the movie brought up. And and, and based on what you know, um, many people don't know that Elvis had an identical twin brother called Jesse, who was born 45 minutes before Elvis was born. And Jesse was stillborn. And then 45 minutes later, along comes Elvis, healthy baby. So... Maybe, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist and I don't think you are, Charlotte, but you tell me, can you imagine growing up with the knowledge that you had an identical twin brother, you lived and he didn't? Do you think that screws with your mentality? I think so. I think it would. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then, you know, people ask me, is Elvis religious? I think he loved the gospel. Mm-hmm. I remember... I remember when I went on the film set with him on Frankie and Johnny, and I forget the name of the actress who played his star, but she was in the Beverly Hillbillies, and it'll come to me in a minute. I I forget her name now, but Elvis said, what was it? Donna Douglas. Yes. Right. Thank you. Good. You you, you came up with that very fast. 
<laughs> yeah, with Donna Douglas. And I said to Elvis, how are you getting on with her? And he said, we get along beautifully. We spend we spend hours when there's no nothing going on on the film set talking about the Bible. And, and I thought he was pulling my leg. I thought he was saying, you know, come on, Elvis, you know, you get, you're going you're gonna to do Bible study with Donna. And yet Donna was a very religious lady. And they did. They sat down and they just you know, talked about the gospel. And can you believe Elvis sitting, talking with his beautiful leading lady about the gospel? So there was no, with Donna, there was no hanky-panky. With mm -hmm. Anne Margaret, there was a bit of hanky-panky. And then as most of the Beatle, most of the Elvis fans know, um, Elvis had Priscilla tucked away at, 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 in Graceland in Memphis, and Elvis plays the field. And the other thing the film doesn't talk about was after he split up from uh, Priscilla, and the reason that they didn't go into that was that Priscilla gave the film her blessings. After they broke up, um, Elvis play the field. I mean, there was Linda Thompson. There was, I mean, you probably know more than I do, all these other ladies that were linked to Elvis. So Elvis was never, you know, a, a total innocent. And he, he played around, he liked women and they loved him. So, you know, who's going to knock it? That's true. That's true. The other question I was uh, that, that came to mind with all this was that back to the Anne Margaret thing, wasn't Anne Margaret married during the filming of that as well? Um, I, I don't think Anne Margaret was married at the time. Um, I think uh, I, I couldn't. I, I wouldn't swear on it. But 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 the, th the interesting thing about Anne Margaret was she was a sensational talent, and she almost. And I watched Viva Las Vegas a few weeks ago, and she was terrific. She almost almost stole the film from Elvis. Mm -hmm. And, um, and while you're talking about leading ladies, if I may tell a story, sure. I was in Arizona and I, I interviewed Barbara Streisand on a movie called A Star Is Born. Now, during the course of the conversation on the film set, she said she wanted in A Star Is Born, which was a remake of an earlier Star Is Born, uh, and, it, and it turned from theater in, in the old movie in the 30s or 40s to rock and roll. Um, Barbara Streisand said to me, we wanted Elvis. Elvis wanted to be in the movie. And they met, and Elvis and Barbara Streisand got along very well. And then at the last minute, in steps the colonel and says to Elvis, you're not doing it. I don't know why. I think what happened was, number one, in retrospect, Parker said, Barbara Streisand is going to get star billing. You're going to be second billing. I don't want that. He said, in the movie A Star Is Born, you play an over-the-hill drunken rock and roll star. If you play that role, it could be bad for your image. And so much to Elvis's chagrin, he, he dropped out. And a guy called Chris Christopherson played the rock and roll guy. And I remember that very well because I was on the set in Arizona at a stadium. They were shooting a big scene. And then I got a chance to talk to Streisand. And she told me the story. She said, I wanted Elvis. Elvis wanted in. But Parker said no. And so that was another opportunity. And Elvis wanted to be taken seriously as a, as a serious actor. But, of course, 
with all the movies he made, all the 30 odd movies that we've talked about, there was no way that they were going to, they were going to give him an Oscar nomination and he could have got an Oscar nomination, but there it is. Parker controlled Elvis and Elvis did what he said. So it's sad. And it, it's always interesting to say, what if, what if he'd done this? What, you know, who knows? Well, you know, out of all the movies he made, there are two or three that he did where you can see that he could be a serious actor. You know? You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, he had a natural magnetism. He had the kind of Paul Newman, James Dean look. I don't know if you have a favorite, Charlotte, a favorite movie that you liked. And, and you saw, I mean, I've seen some of the old movies. Mm -hmm. And some of them are actually, he's, he's actually terrific. He's magnetic. You, you, you can't take your eyes off of him. I mean, what's the one they did in Hawaii? He looks fantastic in that. Oh, I forget yeah. the name. And, and so Elvis could have been a contender in the movies. But instead, Parker opted for the humdrum, the routine, the here we go again, same old stuff, which is, which is sad. But I guess, you know, you can look at anybody's career and say they should have done this, they should have taken the right turn instead of the left turn. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've covered Hollywood for many years and I've seen uh, many actors who, who took the wrong route. Because to be honest with you, um, I've covered Hollywood for many years and, and a lot of these stars that I interviewed were not happy folks. They were not happy campers. And somebody once said to me, you know, um, movie stars make lousy parents. And I think there was certainly true to some extent. I mean, they have their own access to grind. They have their own hang-ups. And, and, and I'll ask you this. I'm sorry to put you on the spot, Charlotte. Sure. Is there any actor that comes to mind as we talk who you could say was a great father, was a great human being, got on well? I mean, I know this is to throw this one at you without thinking, but think of, think of the great stars of Hollywood. Anyone that comes to mind that was that that was got on got on well? No one I can think of except maybe Martin Sheen. That's the only one I can think of. Yeah, well, Martin, yeah, yeah, Martin Sheen is a great guy. Yeah. He lived in Malibu. His kids grew up in Malibu. He tried to control them, but you know, Charlie was a, a loose cannon. Uh the other one who has, doesn't have the Sheen name, um Emilio mm -hmm. whatever, um, did quite well. But certainly Charlie was a disaster. I mean, I've seen Charlie when he was in his cups, you know, oh my God. And he made no sense, <clears throat> made no sense. So it's a typical, I mean, I, I'm writing a book about the stars I know. And one of them is Jane Fonda, who was a wonderful, is a wonderful actress. She's still around. She's in her late seventies, maybe even 80. She's still making movies, but what a life she's had. And she had a father named Henry Fonda, who was cold as ice, who who gave her nothing. And Jane Fonda grew up with Henry Fonda, the famous Henry Fonda, the American icon as her dad. And she grew up with a mother who killed herself. So, you know, it, it's a, a pretty steep obstacle to overcome the background. And, and as I say, the only people that I thought were fairly good were Paul Newman was a nice guy. But even he was a borderline alcoholic, but a great actor. Uh, Rod Steiger, I like very much, but he suffered from severe depression. And it's very hard to come up. 
I mean, George Clooney today seems normal, whatever normal is. So I, you know, I don't know. Looking at the looking at the leading men again, you mentioned Martin Sheen. Is there anybody else? Uh, I mean, Shirley MacLaine. She's a little bit of a dingaling. Sorry, Shirley. I know you may be listening, but she's a little bit out there. And I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I have a hard time coming up. Maybe some of your listeners will will text or whatever they do and say, "Hey, you forgot." somebody so i apologize to somebody if i've overlooked them well you know i think it's a thing where they have all this talent and it can it, it, it consumes them the, 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 it's like they're on a one-way track with it and that's all they can think about so anything else that comes up is kind of pushed off to the side yes yeah well that, i think i think you've hit the nail perfectly um i remember being impressed when I went on a film called Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in Cuernavaca, Mexico, the leading man was Paul Newman. Mm -hmm. And what impressed me about Paul Newman was when I spent time with him, I went into his dressing room one day and he had his kids with him. And Paul Newman said to the kids, and I saw it, he said, we're in Mexico. It's, a, it's, it's an, an environment you're not familiar with. When you go into town, say hello to the locals, be friendly, show them because we've invaded their turf. And I thought, that's pretty good, Paul. I, I, that's great advice. And I was very impressed with that. And the funny thing, I've got to tell you the story. Um, on the Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, I went down to interview Paul Newman. He was very political. He was uh, supporting Eugene McCarthy for president. And I went down to talk to him about his politics. And when I was down on the film set in Mexico, the publicist for the movie came up to me and said, do me a big favor. Ivor, would you please interview his co-star who everybody has ignored? And I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. So I sat down with a guy called Robert Redford and interviewed him. And I thought it was funny that the publicist on that film, Newman was a star, Redford was a new boy. I sat down with, with Redford and got a great interview. He was very charming. He talked about his recent movie, which is called Downhill Racer. He plays a ski guy. And then then Robert Redford did quite well in movies, I think. Mm -hmm. It's still around, by the way. Uh, sadly, uh, Newman isn't, and sadly, a lot of them are, are not. And, I, I, you know, I don't want to go off track, but in sure. my career, I've met people like Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, whose kids have also been a little bit screwed up. But, I mean, if your mother is Elizabeth Taylor... And I won't, won't go into it. Don't you know who, who can who can explain it? So it's it's tough. As you said a moment ago, um, the star is so focused on their own psyche that they don't have energy or room for anyone else, and that includes their kids. And that's the you know the sad thing. Because it's for the kids, it's also hard to live up to the name. Yeah, and I mean, look. I remember when Frank Sinatra Jr. was kidnapped and he suddenly got a lot of publicity. Now, Frank Sinatra Jr. was a great talent. He sang, he sounded like his father. But be, can you imagine being Frank Sinatra's son with the same name and you want to you wanna make a, 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 a career as a singer? Come on, come on. Um, so it, 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 when you look, I have the ability of hindsight. I can see these things. I live through it. 
but at the same time, um, I could, I, you know, you can see much later why they turned out the way they turned out. Mm-hmm. Sad in many cases, and sometimes, uh, and unfortunately, the happy ever after stories are few and far between. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, even Lisa Marie Presley has struggled. Oh, I mean, don't even go there. Lisa Marie Presley struggled. Who did she marry? She married Michael Jackson. Yeah. Wow. That seems like a marriage made in heaven, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, so there you go. And didn't, I mean, off the back of my mind, didn't one of Elvis's grandkids die young? Yes. Um, I can't remember. Was it Keo? The name yeah, Keo. Jackson, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look at it. Um, I remember Art Linklater was a famous talk show host and his daughter killed herself. Mary Tyler Moore. Newman's son died, killed himself. So all these these actors, Edward G. Robinson, going way back, I mean, you've got to be pretty old to remember Edward G. Robinson. His son was a disaster. So they could never live in their parents' famous shadow if they wanted to be in the same business. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it was a, a wrestling match all their lives. Some of them survived and some of them tragically did not. Absolutely. Going back to Elvis's movies, you know, what I read somewhere was that the reason why the colonel kept him doing that is because the movies would make money, yes. even as bad as they were. And so he wanted to keep the same format going over and over, despite the fact that Elvis was bored out of his mind with him and didn't want to deal with it. Well, what, what, um, what I think, the, I think the, you tell me if the movie showed this. What I know is not only they made money, but every time they sang songs from the movie, they released the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. They released the soundtrack. They had total command of the royalties from the music. Um, and so Parker made money. I think he took maybe 50% of Elvis's salary. Elvis made money. The movies were made as a vehicle for promoting Elvis's songs. Some of the time, I mean, I don't think you and I can, if we sat down for an hour, could come up with 10 songs from the movies. Viva Las Vegas, okay. Come up with 10 songs from his 30 movies that were really humdingers. Right. So so that it was all about the almighty dollar. It was all about how much can I squeeze out of these soundtrack music? Because, Because believe it or not, Parker made sure that like 50 to 60 or 70% of the songs that were written for the Elvis movies were his property, Elvis's property. So it was squeezing the song royalties out of every, it was a vehicle. The movies were a vehicle to make music, Mm -hmm. to make money for the music. And I think that was the other issue too, was that Elvis was not writing his own stuff where around the mid sixties, people started to write more of their own music. And so Elvis was stuck with, whatever dregs were out there because with my understanding the way he did it was they would bring in a stack of records and he would go through all of them and listen yeah and if he liked one of them he'd pull it out and say okay let's try this one yeah oh yeah 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 but you're right i mean elvis never wrote a single song Mm -hmm. whereas whereas paul mccartney Mm -hmm. the other guy john lennon they wrote all their stuff i mean they they were in charge of their music I mean, they let George, I don't want to get off, off, off 
subject, but they let George sing a few and Ringo even sang a, a few less. But they were they were the, like the machine. I mean, I forget what four hundred four hundred songs, mm-hmm. and 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 my grandkids can sing them. And and so that was the difference. Elvis never wrote a song, but Colonel Parker had the vehicle of the I forget their names. Uh, the two songwriters for all the movies mm-hmm. were, were had had a monopoly, a total mm-hmm. monopoly on the song. So. They made a lot of music out of that, and as I said, the films were a vehicle for the music. So, so that that was the thing, and and it was, you know, when you look at the career, it it, it it's it's kind of sad. Um, but I would recommend people to see the movie because it, it's fun. Yes, it is fun. It's it, it's really quite good, and and you know, it's, it's Moulin Rouge because I mean, Baz Luhrmann, like you say, he knows how to do that. He knows how to create splash. And that's what he does with this, the choreographer, the gal that was doing the costumes, all that stuff. Yeah, and and as you said at the beginning of the conversation, Charlotte, I mean, I talked to Steve Binder, and Mm -hmm. in the movie, Steve Binder meets with Elvis under the Hollywood sign. Well, I mean, that was a total fabrication. Hollywood sign is in Hollywood, and Elvis lived in Memphis and what have you, although he did have a house in Beverly Hills. So, so... Baz Luhrmann, the director, took liberties, but I mean that's what the movie is. You know, you're going to stick strictly to the to that. I I don't know. Anyway, it it it's it's entertaining, and I lo- I know a lot of people who've seen it two or three times. They love. I know the story from I don't know if it was one of the bodyguards who described Elvis's meeting with um Dave B- with, with that Binder with Steve Binder. Yeah. And uh, Steve Binder, Elvis had asked him, you know. What do you think of my career? And Steve Binder actually took Elvis downtown uh, during the day and had Elvis get out, you know, get out of the car and stand on the street. That's right. And nobody, nobody stopped. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so uh, I think he was proving that his his career was in the toilet. Can you imagine Elvis Presley? You know, I'm going to have lunch with Steve Binder next week, and I'm going to ask him if that really happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because because the interesting thing is, it is interesting. So you take. Elvis Presley onto Hollywood Boulevard. You stand on the corner and people walk by without even noticing you. And that was a story. I don't know whether it's a, a true story or not, but I'm going to ask Steve, did you take Elvis to Hollywood Boulevard and did you stand there unrecognized? And I'll call you and I'll send you an email. Let me and know, yeah, let me know. I'm curious about that one, you know? Yeah, yeah. But you can kind of see it in the 60s like that because, I mean, you had everything had changed and the kids wouldn't have known Elvis anyway. So, I mean, you can kind of see it happening in a way. Yeah. I mean, who would the, you know, in, in the sixties, don't forget there were the Beatles. Don't right. forget there were the beach boys. Right. Don't forget there were other rock groups and Elvis. I mean, it sounds crazy, but in the, in 68, when the, when the, when the comeback special was made, Elvis was old, old bread. Mm-hmm. Was he really and also, if he looked ordinary, people would look at him and think he was an Elvis impersonator. So, so I'm going to ask Steve that and see if it was true or whether it was poetic license. What did you like the best about Elvis? Well, I think he was in 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 in, in person. He was very humble. I mean, it was so. Uh, you know, when I met him on on Frankie and Johnny, I was embarrassed because he kept saying, calling me sir. Sir, and, and he was uh, he was about two or three years older than me. 
So it was kind of odd, this guy from the South calling me sir. And um, so he was very polite. He was very nice. Um, and then, of course, uh, you know, whether he, you know, I mean, drugs can do horrible things to the brain. And they do. We know that. We know how, how great people die of drugs and how drugs can scramble your brains. But th that was what I liked about him. And then when I saw him, um, when I saw that uh, comeback special, he was he was like a, a, a Greek Adonis mm -hmm. in his black leather. He was magnificent. He was like, I mean, he was the epitome of the way you knew Elvis was. And so I liked that. And it was terrific. And um, and then, of course, tragically, he went downhill fairly fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, in all your years covering, you know, the different stars, who do you think was the biggest star you, you ever talked to? Um, well, you know, I liked Elizabeth Taylor. Um, she was down to earth. She was bawdy. Mm -hmm. She told you what she thought. <laughs> I remember going with her. When she had, um, I, I don't know if you remember, but you're a bit too young to remember this. She came out with her own perfume. Right. And um, so I hit the road with her to the Midwest just to see how she would react. And Elizabeth Taylor was in, in pig heaven talking to a bunch of housewives at one of these department stores. And she would be honest. It was like a, a you know, what, what do they call him? A hen party. So there she was, the star, selling her perfume, and all the ladies were asking her personal questions. And one of the questions they asked the Taylor was, um, Elizabeth, why why did you marry so often? And she said, and I always remember this, whether, whether it was true or not, she said, once I slept with a guy, I had to marry him, which I thought was quite funny. And she was bawdy, and she would, she would say, everybody says I got a fat ass. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get rid of that. I remember on a film set with her, she talked about her weight and her drinking, and she drank with Richard Burton and kept up with him. And Richard Burton was a notorious drinker, believe me. And I saw Richard when he was drunk, and I saw Richard when he was sober. But so, I mean, Elizabeth Taylor was colorful. I love John Wayne, another heavy drinker. Wayne was what you saw was what you got. Oh, a, another boozer. And, and um, a great guy on the film set, um, a larger-than-life character. And, and Muhammad Ali was wonderful. I spent time with him. So I've had great times with these great people at the peak of their careers and enjoyed myself. And um, I'm around still to tell the story. Fantastic. This hour went by so fast. I love talking to you. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the opportunity to exercise my memory. And at my age, you need to exercise your memory. You're so fun to have on. You've had such a colorful career. Thank you. I would love to have you on again sometime. Is that okay? I, I, I tell you what, I'm about to write a book. I've, I've almost finished it about my adventures in Hollywood. And I have some great stories to tell. So I hope uh, that we can get together again. Let's do that. Let's, let's play Thank on you. it, okay? Thank you for your time and your questions and your companionship and how can people find you sir they can find me on ivadavisbooks.com or they can go on to uh amazon and buy my adventures with the beatles or my adventures with charles manson and that wasn't too much fun 
<laughs> and I've even written a children's book about four penguins uh, from a remote island in uh, English island who want to be big rock stars, bigger than the Beatles. So I mix it, a murder book, a music book, and a children's book. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Arthur. I appreciate you coming on, and we definitely will be in touch again, okay? Thank you, and good luck to you, and stay well. You have a good evening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was fun. I, I, I love having him on. He is, he is, he's just a plethora of information. He's done so much more than I've done in my career, but it's, it's impressive, very impressive. Tomorrow is kind of a, a different day. We're looking at being on at 10 a.m. Um, we have a guest coming on from, from, from London, England. His name is Richard Lawrence, and he's going to be talking about UFO disclosure. And he was one of the first people to, my understanding, he was one of the first people to take, uh, to, to get the declassified Pentagon files, uh, you know, the declassified files and take them over to England and then compare them with the British files. So he's going to be with us tomorrow at 10. Now, here's the deal. Um, we're going to do a test run at 9 to make sure that StreamYard works for him because StreamYard doesn't work for just everybody. StreamYard has issues sometimes. So if you don't see him, if you don't see us at 10, then you can look for us at 6.30. Because what I will do is I will probably do it via Skype somehow and figure out how to and, and pre-record the show. And then it will be at 6.30. Otherwise, check out at 10 o'clock. Hopefully everything goes well. And we're on live at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, Pacific. So just, just an FYI heads up on that. But that should be a really, really good show. And I hope you enjoyed Ivor tonight. Um, he, he's been on before. And we, every time he's on, we have a blast talking about stuff. Anyway, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. If you're watching from Facebook, please hit that follow button. If you're watching from Twitch, please hit that follow button. If you're watching from TikTok, hit that follow button. And if you are watching from YouTube, there's that little guy down in the corner, that ghost with the Sherlock Holmes hat on and the magnifying glass. That is our mascot. Please hit that to subscribe to our shows. As you can see, we have different types of shows on Not Just Paranormal. Also, next Saturday, I will be teaching a psychic development class at 7 p.m. Pacific. That is Psychic Development 1. And that's going to teach you protection techniques, how to open and close that psychic door. I'm going to take you out to your spirit library, visit your spirit animal, visit, get a message from your spirit guide, things like that. So be sure, you know, if you're interested in that sort of thing, check out the California Haunts Meetup at meetup, californiahauntsmeetup.com. And uh, you can do that. Otherwise, wait till 11 o'clock p.m. tonight Pacific, and I will have it up on the website. You can sign up there. Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming tonight, and I will see you tomorrow. Hope, you know, if everything goes well, I will see you tomorrow at 10 a.m. So I'm going to give you Ivor's contact information right now. Here we go. Website, ivordavisbooks.com. And the Beatles and Manson Exposed. And the title of the Beatles one is The Beatles and Me. Sorry about that. And his books are available at Amazon. Plus, he has the children's book over there. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. And I will see you tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific. Have a good night.